let's, um, let's start with some prayer and then we will um, do some other things. Loving God, I just want to take a moment now to, to breathe and be present. To rest in your presence in and through us all. Help us this morning to, to be aware of you with us, to tune into your presence, your spirit, and to tune into each other. Thank you for this community. I thank you for the chance to, to be in the same space as other people, other bodies, and to, to do community in, um, in a society and in a world where that's so hard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are um, in the last couple of weeks of our long winter series. We always, always have a long winter series. And this has been one where we've... Uh, it's called Another Story. And it's all about looking at the way of Jesus as a wisdom tradition, as a story that helps us to resist the, the dominant story in our culture, which increasingly feels like um, a story and a way of death. And um, it's not to say that the way of Jesus is the only way of resisting that dominant story, but it is um, one that obviously resonates for many of us here because we are here at church. Um, and it's something that I think in the last... Um, yeah, five to ten years, that sense of um, the radically political nature of what Jesus represented has been increasingly at the forefront of my own sense of who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what it means to follow Jesus. So in these last two weeks, I guess we're bringing things to a close. If you saw my weekly note you will have seen that this is an opportunity for you to share anything that you are going to carry forward from this series. I can't remember wh where it came from, but in our small group, we have this kind of five-finger kind of check-in thing, which is, um, what is it? Something good, something looking forward to, something that was really shit, um, something you want to keep. Yeah, I've got the wedding ring on that finger just to... <laughs> and something small to, to share. Um, so I guess th this is the uh, ring finger <laughs> week where we just reflect on what it is from this series we want to keep. We did a series a while ago called the Community of Memory where we tried to remember some of the series that we had because we do these, all these great series and then we move on to the next one and everyone forgets what they were. And from that series, we developed a community prayer, which encapsulated a lot of the things um, that we wanted to carry forward with us as a community. Um, we should probably pray that community prayer more, so we remember what those things are. But this week is a chance to reflect on that. What is it that we want to carry forward from this series? What do we think might um, stay with us from this series? 
And while you're thinking about it, um, I just wanted to share a couple of things that I want to carry forward from this series. Uh, again, in, in my weekly note, I mentioned that um, one thing that I will be carrying forward is uh, a stronger sense that all of us have to choose a story to live by, that there is no neutral, unstoried place from which to live. And that in a world where that, the dominant story is laying waste to the planet, living an alternative story, uh, and in the case of this community, the alternative story that Jesus embodies may be more important than it has ever been. The planet may depend on it. Um, one of my fa favourite theologians, Catherine Keller, talks about that um, prediction in the Bible that at the end of, of the days there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and she says, we are creating a new heavens and a new earth right now, uh, and it's not a good one. Um, and so if we want to see the kind of new heavens and new earth that God in love and justice wants, then we need to act against the story that is creating um, the kind of new heavens and new earth that we are headed towards now. And the challenge is that it's, it's probably never been harder to resist the dominant story than it is now, uh, which is why one of the things I've really connected with in this series is the need for community, the need for each other. Uh, because it's, it is impossible for us to resist the dominant story on our own. Um, we need each other. And we need a, a community to, to hold us to the crazy idea that the path walked by a crucified first century Jewish peasant is the path of life. And it's another thing that I want us to... to to sit with this morning is how incredibly unlikely it is that, that we as a community claim to follow uh, a homeless Jewish peasant from 2,000 years ago, that we claim that the life that this peasant led and the things that he said represent one of the most powerful answers to, resistances to the direction that our culture is going. Um, but that is what we claim. Um, and yeah, when you're doing something that crazy, you need other people to, to reinforce that. Um, the passage that I shared in my weekly note was this one, um, because I think uh, we don't often read Paul, for a range of reasons, but um, I think this is a, a wonderful one just to foreground the, the craziness uh, of what it is that we are doing in following, um, in, in following Jesus. Would anyone like to read this so we can have a little break from my voice? Sorry, I didn't set this up before. Oh, thanks, Susan. No, you can do it. Friends, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise but human, by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble, were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast. God has given you life in Jesus Christ, who has become your wisdom. Thanks. So as I say, I'm going to hand over to you in a second. Um, and yeah, you can literally share anything, however big or small, that you feel like you want to carry forward from this series. And if it's your first week here, that's okay, you can still share. Um, but again, while you're thinking, I, I just want to share one more thing, which is a passage from this book that I borrowed from the library. Yarra Libraries, the one just down there, you never know what you're going to get, um, by Richard Holloway, who used to be um, an Anglican bishop in Scotland. It's called Stories We Tell Ourselves, so it's very appropriate given that we're looking at stories and the dominant stories. I just want to read the last two pages of this book because, um, yeah, I just found it really powerful and it sort of articulates some of the things I want to carry forward from this series, uh, my relationship with the Jesus story uh, in a way that I don't think I could. He says, the church never really tried to live the Jesus life. What it did was to keep his story alive. Even as they shifted uncomfortably in their seats, Christians were compelled to listen to this story. Week after week, day after day, the story was read to them and it has always provoked some of them to try to live it, to follow the way of radical revolutionary forgiveness, to see the world as it appears from the bottom looking up, not from the top looking down, to try to live by the story of the magnificent defeat of Jesus, the God-forsaken revolutionary. That's why I remain a member of the Christian church. I want to be part of the community that keeps the dangerous memory of Jesus alive in history, but not out of nostalgia, only because it can make a difference. Because practicing forgiveness in human affairs at both the personal and political level is one of the few ways humans can effectively redirect the crushing momentum of their own violent history. Because forgiveness offers us the possibility of improvising a different script for ourselves, a different story, in the theological jargon of saving ourselves and the little blue planet that came into existence five billion years ago and slowly gave us life. That, and because Jesus also invites us to active sympathy for those who become the casualties of the planet's propulsive and indifferent force, those who suffer. Not in order to find an answer to the problem of suffering, but to respond to those who do the suffering. Maybe there never ever was any love behind the universe, no creative intelligence that brought it into being in order to love it and be loved by it. Maybe it all just happened because it happened, an effect without a cause. Nevertheless, in time, love also happened. Another effect without a cause? Who cares? Parse it any way you like, reduce it to neurology, mutual self-protection, wherever it came from, it is the most beautiful and revolutionary force in human history. And it asks each of us a question. Why can't the more loving one be me? 
I'm a Christian because this is the story I try to live by. I'm not suggesting that this way of following Jesus should convince you or anyone else. I am no longer in the convincing business. It's just that this is the story I now try feebly to live by, and that makes me a Christian. So there's that kind of big picture ideas side of the series, which may have really connected with some of you. But it may have just been some of the embodied practices that we shared over the series. Prayer, singing, eating together. It could be any of those things that you want to carry forward, or it could be none of those things. It could be other things entirely that haven't even occurred to me, which is why I want to hear from you um, again. As big or as small, doesn't matter. I think just noticing when the story of what's happening around is there, it's something I've started to notice in media a lot more, like whole scenes where the family's berating the main character for working a job at a hotel or something, and just these times where you go, oh, yeah, that's that whole value equals your job kind of thing coming through again. and um, Yeah, re- recognising it more often... So it's not like some subconscious thing. You just go, yeah, yeah, that, that's the way it is. So, yeah. Thanks, Martin. Yeah, I mean, it's that thing, if it's the water you swim in, it's very hard to, to see it unless suddenly there's an alternative source of water. Thanks, Martin. Hey, Tracy. So the, um, the forgiveness part, <clears throat> I think, is really key for me. I've been thinking about it a bit, just the way that we view other people, especially challenging people or people that are letting us down. Um, I've just been thinking about how to be more merciful in my approach to other people and just, I guess, the lens through which I see other people to be one of mercy and forgiveness so that, you know, we can, we can encourage the best and other people instead of just condemning them because I think our culture is very judgmental and to work against that takes quite a bit of conscious thought. So, yeah, that's something I've been thinking about. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, as I said a few weeks ago, operating now in a, in a work culture where relationships are just disintegrating and people are being suddenly so kind of polarised into camps where the other camp is demonised and seen as the problem and you know, just, um, yeah, I'm so acutely aware right now of how easy it is for things to just fall apart and how, um, yeah, suddenly you're in a situation where you see the power of trying to engage kindly and with forgiveness and trying to understand um, the experience of, of other people, yeah. I was noticing some parallels with the whole story concept to um, something I was introduced to uh, through therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy, where it talks about accepting a situation you're in and still moving towards your values. But one of the strategies they talk about in that is um, 
recognizing in your thoughts when a, when a recurring story comes up. So, oh, that's the not good enough story or the X, Y, and Z. And so early in this series, we were, when Shane was reading his poem about what the story of our culture is like, um, I found that pretty helpful when you have these not good enough or need to try harder or X, Y, and Z stories. You can kind of go, oh yeah, that's the, that's the big how you should be narrative again. Um, yeah, and it was nice to see parallels in something completely unrelated that even in a secular environment that they're acknowledging is a really helpful way of um, being aware of what's driving you and how to respond differently. So. Yeah, thanks. And it, it, I guess it underlines what I was saying before that, yeah, in this community we're not saying there's only one path or only one way of resisting um, the destructive dominant story. Um, but I think what is incredibly special about community is that it, it creates that capacity to resist together. And I think that's what is most difficult in a culture like ours where, as Shane said, you know, we are autonomy is so central to the narrative, it does divide us and it does make it so much more difficult to resist when we're all on our own, even if um, we have fantastic tools, perhaps from therapy or whatever, to resist. If you're on your own, you're on your own, and that's really hard. Hey, Greg. So I've been reflecting on, you know, my what I might have called my white Protestant work ethic. And, uh, you know, that kind of sounded kind of godly because it kind of had the word Protestant in it. And uh, how that was kind of passed down to me from my father and my grandfather and probably a few mothers in there too. Um, and, you know, the way we talked about busyness kind of, you know, is kind of like a, can be seen as a bit of a virtue. Efficiency is a, almost a, like a godlike status. The trouble is, is Jesus isn't quite on board with that in many very important ways. And uh, I don't know, it's been, it's been easy for me to pay lip service to that. Uh, but when you, when you talk about uh, following um, maybe a more generous story that Jesus talks about, I'm not sure how you completely fit the Protestant work ethic. I think there's some dissonance there. And that has to be explored if I'm to grow both here and beyond the borders of here. Yeah, thanks. It's, yeah, it is, it's, yeah, it's very confronting when you realize that um, profound aspects of the way that you were raised to be Christian are actually fully <laughs> in alignment with that dominant narrative. Um, and it's like, you know, like Richard Holloway was saying in the book, you know, I think very quickly in the early church, um, it was twisted and aligned with that dominant violent story. And for millennia, the church has at one and the same time preserved the dangerous memory of Jesus while at the same time, most of the time, ignoring it. Uh, and that is, yeah, it's challenging to think to what extent is yeah, the, the kind of understanding of what it is to, to be church, what it is to be Christian that I, that I grew up with, how much would that, of that 
was really in alignment with Jesus and how much of it was actually opposed. Yeah. I see that hesitant hand, Stu. I think um, even just the wording of the series of the way of Jesus as a wisdom tradition is something I'll take forward. Um, maybe even what's on the screen now, there are two ways, one of life, one of death, I feel like is something that very much fit into my framework growing up of there's kind of, the Christ, there is the Christian way, whatever that means, and it's very straightforward, and if you don't follow that, there's death. It's very binary, this really dualistic thing, and I suppose growing up, there was the world, in quotation marks, and there was the, the truth as, a, as per Christianity. Um, but then even framing things as a wisdom tradition, wisdom has this real sense of being, it's deep and it's profound and it's often a bit hidden and it takes a lot of work to get to and it's, it's there as an undercurrent through everything but it's not necessarily immediately accessible and I think that's really important to remember because being presented with these straightforward, simple ways that as if you could just, you know, say a prayer or accept this one concept and then be wise, it's ludicrous. And so to, um, to have the idea of the way of Jesus as, a, as this thing that gradually infuses life, if you let it, if you, if you practice and repeat and um, keep reorienting towards that, then gradually you... You, your life becomes shaped by this. I think that's very profound. Thanks, Stu. Yeah, it reminds me of um, Diana Butler Bass, who's an American historian and theologian, and she um, and her image of what the the wisdom path of Jesus is. Because I think we grew up with this sense of the path is clear. The challenge is the will. Do you have the will? to follow this difficult path or are you going to follow the easy path? And her metaphor was, oh, no, no, it's, it's like a, a forest with thousands of forks that you, you come up to one and you go down a little way and you realise it's a dead end and so you return and so you're just slowly and difficultly navigating um, with a growing sense of wisdom away from a way forward, um, and it's not a, yeah, so I think that's a, it's, it is a big shift to go from this mindset of will, I have to have the will to dominate myself and to resist my selfish impulses, to um, a much more hidden, mysterious and tentative path of, of wisdom, and, and the role of other people changes too, that rather than being people that will condemn you if you fall off the path, they're people that uh, fellow travellers helping you to navigate and calling out, hey, <laughs> I, think, I think I found a way forward over here. Um, yeah, it, it becomes a much kinder collective experience rather than us just policing each other. Thank you for those things. Any, any last things before we... Oh, man, the snowball begins. Annika. What you were just saying was um, connecting what... I was thinking about in terms of that framework uh, requires so much self-denial, like that policing of your own instincts and, um, yeah, the assumption that every, everything of the flesh must be bad. 
Uh, and I was thinking about needing, I think like you, the idea that we need each other is really profound to me and that idea of interdependence has become really precious to me and I, um, I really want to need other people and I want to be needed by other people and that requires a lot of um, naming and like dis self-discovery and discovery of the other of what what needs we have, I have, and what needs we can fill uh, for each other and, and alongside each other. And so, yeah, I just think that's been a really profound shift in my thinking of not going, no, like, we don't need anybody. I don't, like, I must do it all by myself. But, um, yeah, like, what, what are the things that I can ask others to need uh, for me and with me? And that's been... Um, pretty humbling and pretty profound. Thanks. Yeah, it reminds me of that wonderful modern wisdom text, Ted Lasso, where, um, yeah, they have the, what are they called, some lame thing, the dogs or, anyway, it doesn't matter. Diamond dogs. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but at one point, yeah, they're just talking about how to live and one of them says, yeah, the secret of how to live is to learn how to ask for help <laughs> and to be a community where it's safe to ask for help rather than terrifying to ask for help because asking for help might just reveal to this other person that you, you're on the wrong path, yeah. Okay. Thanks, everyone. And, uh, you know, we, we recognise that there are people that feel comfortable speaking up in this context and there are people that, are don't, that don't. So um, it's, yeah, it's always wonderful to get any kind of feedback, so if, if you wanted to send in an email or anything like that, um, or just organise to have a conversation, always like chatting to people um, to talk through some of the things that uh, you want to carry forward from this series, would always welcome that because it's always lovely. Um, I'm going to finish with uh, communion. And obviously with communion we are commemorating, remembering Jesus' death, uh, and it, and I know this is a story I've probably told before, but it, it um, the theme of today and the idea of Jesus' death reminded me of um, my, uh, my friend, Trip Fuller, of Homebrewed Christianity fame, <laughs> one of my favourite podcasts, talking about his own journey with, with the faith that he inherited and getting to this point at college or university of um, having his post-structuralist moment where he questions every story and questions everything and how can you believe any, anything because they're all just competing stories not grounded in any kind of objective reality. And he just found himself in this place where he said, well, I have to choose something. I have to choose a story. And the thing that convinced him to return to the, his inherited story of Christianity was Jesus on the cross saying, Father God, Mother God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that vision of a God of forgiveness, a God that loves and accepts us, even when we are doing violence to God, to the planet, to each other, that that, that was a vision that he said, um, that's a story I can choose. That's a story I can live with. So this morning, if you want to participate in 
communion, we just come forward, take a little bit of cracker, a thing of juice, and when we're standing in a loose circle, um, pray and um, eat and drink together. As always, there's no pressure to participate if you don't want to or you don't feel like it, um, but certainly anyone that would like to participate is welcome to come and yeah, commemorate the death, the mysterious death of Jesus. Um, yeah, so come forward if you like. So before we eat and drink, there's just a prayer on the screen behind me that you might want to, to pray with me if you feel comfortable. I'll give you just a second to read it so you can decide whether you are comfortable. Yeah, so if you would like to say with me, following the way of Jesus, we commit ourselves in the service of others to seek justice and to live in peace, to care for the earth and to share the commonwealth of God's goodness, to live in the freedom of forgiveness and the power of the spirit of love. Amen. Let's eat and drink.